Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 168, and we're going to be interviewing Jay. How are you doing this morning, Jay? Hi, good morning. Good I'm morning. good. So you're, uh, you're West Coast time, so this is bright and early for you. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, Not thank bad. you so much for doing it. Did you get up early just for this? Uh, no, no, I'm usually up around like 6.37 every day, so this is oh. perfectly fit. Perfect. All right. So let's get the party started. You know, I ask everybody the uh, same question first. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely had, um, I didn't realize my childhood was dysfunctional until I was like 10. Um, and my parents got divorced, but I, on paper, had a pretty peaceful childhood up until 10 until I started to discover certain things that happened. Um, I had like flashbacks, like once I got a bit older, like when I was in my teens, I started to remember, um, like, um, early onsets of abuse, like, like sexual abuse, physical abuse, things like that. Um, like from like five to about like seven or eight. Um, you, you said your memory got triggered around 10. Was it the divorce that triggered it or was something else happening? Yeah, the divorce for sure. And and I think my, my father became more outwardly um, angry and more expressive um, around that time. I remember, I remember him differently. Like he was very kind and like I was such a daddy's girl. And then when my mom divorced him, he... I saw a whole different side of him. So that became, I don't know. I think that kind of was where the shift was. And then there was a lot of upheaval with the divorce and, and moving. So, but the abuse was going on before the divorce. Very much so. Yeah, definitely. Like um, my father, like physically beat me. The most vivid time I remember was probably around eight and made me walk to school because I didn't finish my homework. Um, he would like try to teach me multiplication when I was like four. Um, and I was too young to really like retain it. And he would try to teach me and then hold my head underwater. Oh my um, God. So like if I got it wrong and I'd have to like stay underwater for a significant amount of time until he let me up. Um so, yeah, yeah, so, like, definitely um, physically abusive, like, very he, early. So, did he do it, and obviously, I'm not giving him the excuse, but did he claim their reasons, or did, besides, like, the homework and stuff, or was it always, like, something, was, was he, like, picking apart everything you did? Yeah, constantly. I didn't really know whether I was coming or going with him, and and then, you know, there was, there's a lot of denial around that, and so, of course, you go through this phase where you're, like, oh, my God, like, was I dreaming, you know, because he, he's never really fully owned up to it and um, will kind of act like it didn't happen shortly after too. So yeah, that was a lot, you know, um, early yeah. on. And just I'm the very same way. Confused. And I'm, I know it probably makes you feel a little crazy because there were things that happened to me as a kid. And when mm-hmm. I bring it up to my dad, he just, he acts like he has no idea what I'm talking about. And then I have to say to myself, does he really forget or is he just a complete bullshitter? Yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's you know what I to, No, you go. It, it's I think what I've 
now come to is I think it's difficult for them to admit that they've failed us in any capacity. So however, and I'm not excusing it, but however they're going to do it, the denial piece, I think is a way to keep them safe because they'll have to own up to the fact that they failed their child. And I think that's so difficult for a parent to do. And I just recently came to this where I, because I started my forgiveness process with my parents. So that is, you know, what I've been able to kind of come to so that I could at least move forward for my own life and, and forgive them in some capacity. How was your um, life at school during this time? Did it affect every part of your life, like friendships and things? How did that work? Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. That's a really great question. Definitely. Um, I hated school, hated, hated school. Um, How come? And but I was always trying to give it another shot. I was like, well, maybe, you know, today's Friday. I love Fridays. Fridays were like my like saving grace. I loved Fridays. And I'm like, well, maybe we're going to watch movies at school and I don't have to talk to anyone. I can just like eat pizza or something, you know? And so I kind of like look forward to Fridays, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I was bullied, but I was bullied in this weird way where people would want to, um, they wanted to be friends with me and, and kind of like, get close. And then like two days later, like they're not your friend anymore. And that was like elementary school. A lot of that went on early education, um, just a lot of back and forth with people. And I found that with like a lot of people in my life, just extremely inconsistent very early on, which totally affected adult relationships. I'm still, you know, in a healing process from all that. Did you do good in school? How are your grades? Um, I was a straight A student all through school. I find that a lot. I find a lot of kids that were abused. This is just through my interviews that mm-hmm. a lot of them did pretty pretty good in school for some reason. I, me personally, I did terrible in school because my shitty life affected every part of my life. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. It's hit or miss. It's like yeah. it's like C student, no C students either. <laughs> like it's either you're like at the tip top or no, I noticed that too. Yeah. Um, no, I was at the bottom. I, I barely graduated. I remember he was one of my football coaches and he was my history teacher. What was his name? Mm-hmm. Gillick? I think Mr. Gillick. Uh, Coach <laughs> Gillick. And he looked at me, he goes, you failed. He goes, but I don't want to wow. see your face. He goes, I don't want to see your face again next year. He goes, so I'm giving you, this is at the end of the year. This wow. is deciding if I graduate. And he goes, I'm going to pass you with a D. <gasps> He goes, wow. I honestly, he goes, I just don't want to, he said, because I don't want to see your face again next year. Oh and my I God. Trouble, I was a troublemaker. I remember one year, um, my new class, uh, my teacher said, and I, I didn't know what the word meant at the time. She goes, oh, the infamous Jimmy Rachel's. <laughs> and I was just like, oh boy, here we go. Cause I was, here we go I was, again. <laughs> yeah. I was a troublemaker. I look back and I had no excuse for it. I mean, I could look back and say it was like my parents' fault. I had a lot of shitty mm-hmm. things going on at home, but can't put the full blame on someone, right? Yeah, yeah, but that definitely affects because it's like when you're a kid, I mean, they're who's, it's their job to keep you safe. It's their job to cover you. They did fail. And that's like one thing that, but it's like, what do you do about it going forward? But they did fail. Like, we don't have to like, act like they didn't fuck up, you know? <laughs> like, there's, like, the there's all this like, oh, like. <laughs> The one thing I could say is my mom has made up for it. My mom, she's, I speak to her once a week. She's there for me. And I didn't force her to, but I said, mom, you kind of fucked up as a child when I was a child. 
Yeah. She acknowledged it. She goes, I tried my hardest. Maybe I didn't do as good as I could have. Wow. She acknowledged it. So that was like a huge, like, I don't feel crazy anymore. Yes. My whole life I felt crazy. Like nothing happened, but I'm making up stories or something. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's amazing to get that apology. It's like, yeah. And now we try not to hold my breath. yeah don't hold your breath my dad you know he's the opposite they'll go to his grave saying nothing ever happened oh yeah oh yeah my dad thinks he's father father of the year 100 percent. and you know if he wants to believe that that's okay now i'm okay with it now yeah we go through our therapy or whatever that we realize we can't control others yeah yeah that's the part that is is very sobering because it's just you do, I don't know, like when you go from victim to victor, I feel like I had a transition to that where I was just kind of like, I am, everything's happening to me. This is like, you know, I'm, I'm this way because my parents were like this. Nobody taught me. I don't have any plans of changing. And I think that's where um, I'm, I'm really grateful to have made that transition to, you know, victor instead of victim because that was a brutal place to be um, and not being able to like see past my childhood and the things that have happened to me and being angry at my parents. So it was a really small place to live. It's very, um, it's like addiction all over again. Um, just being addicted to self-sabotage because I don't know any better and, and, you know, being angry that, that plays into it too. Yeah. I like what you said that you're, the victor, not the victim. I've never heard that before. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I just remember the, the going through, you know, I'm in a 12 step program, going through the steps for the first time. I just saw so mu- many patterns in my life. And I was like, wow. And then my perspective just really started to shift into this place of like, wow, now I'm on the other side. I'm overcoming. But where you can't get cocky is I overcame therefore I don't need the stuff that helped me get into a space of overcoming and thinking that you don't need um some form of like support group or recovery process or um or thinking that you're not um an addict or that it's over and and it, it is over to a certain extent today right here right now because I am you know abstaining from from this thing but um it's never I think it the work doesn't stop there's this not this point where you're just like yay <laughs> like, I'm I'm free oh well yeah I mean you're free but you get what I mean it's it's, yeah. it's uphill and onward while doing the work so sounds like you graduated high school being a straight-a student what did you do after high school oh yeah yeah and by the way I was I hardly went to school. Really? <laughs> how, how come? I graduated. Once I turned sixteen, and I got a car. I was I was off to the races, but I don't I don't know how I. <laughs> it was purely grace that I got through high school. But um, after high school, I did um, go to art school in Chicago. Um, oh, nice. I went to uh, Columbia in Chicago, and I got a scholarship actually, and. I was in danger of losing that scholarship. And the only w- way that I was there is really expensive school was because of that scholarship. And um, they sent me 
the it was I had to stay on the dean's list to maintain it. And um, I got a letter. I was drunk as a skunk and opening my mail <laughs> and got a le- letter that uh, I was um, had fallen off the dean's list and I was in danger of losing my scholarship. So um, my academics definitely suffered in college because I just I had that freedom. I was out of the house. And that's when things like really turned up a bit. So but I, but I got back on, got it together and somehow got through college by the skin of my teeth and got my degree. That's all that matters is you got it. That's a hard feat to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was very tough. Very, very tough. I'm glad that it, that it, that it happened, but, um, you know, it was not easy. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. I, I unfortunately didn't go to college, but I imagine how hard it is because like you said, you're given that freedom where you kind of, for the first time, have the choice. Do I do my work or not? Yeah. Yeah. And the answer was often no. I was like, no. But I, I studied, you know, uh, I was studying music and that was like my safe haven, you know. So all of my classes that had to do with music, I was so happy to do the work in them and anything else. I was just like, no. <laughs> I'm a musician. Oh, cool. What do you play? I play guitar and piano. And I, I can play like a few riffs on uh, harmonica. Like I learned Love Me Do by the Beatles. Oh, That's, cool. Yeah, it starts off with harmonica. Uh, but it's a Harmonica's pretty simple one. Harmonica's on my list. It's definitely on my list. I keep saying I'm going to get a harmonica because I really love Tom Petty. Yeah, just, just grab one in the key of C. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, okay. Starts, you know, no sharps, no flats. Makes it a little easier. Okay. Yeah. okay that's fun okay that's on my list yeah definitely <laughs> um so I kind of skipped ahead my question that I skipped was what age did your drug and or alcohol you start or whatever you do I don't know if you have addictive behaviors yeah yeah I got a few I got a few <laughs> like, um but yeah I definitely started uh drinking and and drugging probably around 16 15 actually 15. who was the first person you did it with um, so this is funny. So my mom dropped me off at a house party. I've been trying to do drugs and drink since the eighth grade. I was like, every time I go somewhere and somebody was smoking weed, they all go, they go into this room and they, cause they didn't think that we wanted to do it. And they go in this room and close the door. And I'd be like, I just want to smoke. And I'd watch these like Beatles video and video, like little videos on like, um, my computer as a kid and I'd be like I gotta do drugs at some point like I had goals to do drugs at a very young age but long story short I my mom drops me off this house party and I was like finally it's like my time (laughs) and um first thing I do is find like a pint of vodka like in their kitchen and just I pound it I had never drank ever in my life (laughs) I was the same way you just put a great way I never thought of uh phrasing it that way that I was on a mission to do drugs it sounds cheesy i look back on this and see how immature i was but i love the doors and jim morrison and he was yeah he was a walking garbage can of drugs and alcohol and i was like i think it would be cool to be like jim be like jim yeah you know take up your your name yeah yeah that was the goal i loved classic rock and i was like oh yeah i was like can't wait to find some acid i was like looking (laughs) for it all like it was like it was on the list i was just not we would have been good friends in high school yeah yeah I always like meet people in meetings and I'm like well 
thank God we all found each other now. We may not have made it here. <laughs> yeah. You know? It was, it was I like, just think, just imagine if Jim and Jimmy and Janice had the same chance. Oh, my God. Right? Right? It's so sad, too, you know, because it's so much talent. And um, <laughs> I don't know. It's rough. And I think, you know, like musicians like us, it, it happened. I don't know. For some reason, that creative thing, there is this, like, inhibited creativity that would come to me and it took me years like before I ever wrote a song again before I ever felt like I could do anything creative again I felt so creatively stagnant when I got sober but one thing I you know I I have to say is um I now find myself to be even more creative I was just caught up in this myth of thinking that my creativity came from these substances and it, it was just a matter of like, because the substance is kind of like at least unlock you a little bit from um, what you're going through. It, it was a cheat code. I had to put in work to get to a place of freedom so that I could creatively express myself without substances like that, that, that took work. And it took a lot of like pain and being triggered and wanting to at least smoke weed when I wrote my first song. And started getting back to music. I mean, I I was so triggered. <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to create. I, was that was rough. one of the things I was curious about. I said to myself, "When you get sober, are you going to be? Are you still going to be at good at guitar and piano, or are you going to be not as good?" Yeah, I didn't yeah. know, but I, I think I'm just as good. Um, like you said, if not a little better now. I haven't played mm-hmm. in a while. I do this too much, the addiction stuff and the podcast, but yeah, no, no, no. It's interesting. It. I mean. Uh, it's it's kind of I think making sure that these things fit into your life is is kind of like when you have other things that you have to kind of do it's can be hard but I feel like you always find your way back to the things that you love like in some capacity even if it's just like a little like paying homage at the end of your day like and just getting it out like you know even if no one ever hears your music but you know it's just you always find your way back to it somehow one thing that i love is you never get a better feeling than that finishing note like when you played a song all the way through and you just hit that last note like got it got it yeah just like like, oh i I got the song down done last note mm, done next song such a great feeling because it takes so much to learn a song people don't realize like you learn more i don't know about you i learn in parts i learn the intro the verse the chorus parts yeah Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of different working parts in a song very much so yeah no no you have to be really patient with yourself yeah through that process if it stops being fun like you gotta recalibrate you gotta have fun um with it because i'll overthink like if i'm not automatically good at something right away i'm just like i'll just put it down i'm like no (laughs) you have to continue you did wow. alcohol the first that same night where you were pounding vodka did you also try weed yeah yeah i tried it all um pills i think i ended that was the next day i got like very into like um like downers and different like opiates and things and oh so you um, go head first into it yeah, I was like, I was like, I'm here now because I, I was exposed to a group of people that had everything. It was like these the, everybody would always say, don't hang out with kids in the trailer park in my high school. I, I, I went to a very strange high school. So I grew up in an um, interesting town where our school district was consolidated. So you had 
Um, it was quite diverse, very, very diverse, which was really cool because I was exposed to so much. But it was like there was this um, almost like class war, more so than like racial issues at, at my school. It was more like there were kids in tra- trailer parks all the way up to like million, multi-million dollar homes all in one school um, because our school district is so good. What's that? I had the same thing in uh Oh, we wow. Call it, we called it Tiny Town, which was the trailers. Tiny Town. Because <laughs> they were just like small houses. So that was the name it got. And wow. you hung out in the park in Tiny Town. And those were the, like the rough kids. They were rough. Yeah, rough around the edges. And, and all the drugs were there. And, yep. Like you could get everything you needed in the trailer park. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I started finding myself over there a lot. And um, my hometown had a really big heroin problem. And, um, you know, you had a lot of kids stealing their parents' oxys from back surgeries and stuff, bringing them to school. And then, like, you know, after a while, you kind of graduate with opiates. That's the, like, scary thing about it is, you know, eventually, I mean, not everybody this happens to you, but a lot of us, it's like eventually, you know, somebody offers you the the the, the source and and you kind of go that route. So that was, that was big. I mean, there's still people just drop I mean all over I mean it's a huge epidemic but like you know it's sad every time I go home I either see you know someone that used to just be you know had so much going for them and they're hanging out outside the gas station strung out um or you hear about like I'm like what happened to Ricky and they're like oh Ricky died like a year ago like where have you been you know and it's just kind of like this like really sad thing but you know, yeah, just grateful. The oxys, that was like a, it really hit the, the people that were more well off. Like, you know, statistically, yes. mm-hmm. historically speaking, we weren't known, like, you know, the, the kids in high school, especially, let's call it what it is. It was a white kid problem. It still is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very much a white kid problem. And it was because everyone got oxys. And when they ran out, there was nothing else but heroin. But heroin and that's what was there for you yeah no it's crazy <clears throat> it's it's so crazy because my my dad was very angry at my mom for moving me to this kind of town like you know because it was half a hick town it was diverse but it was you know kind of had its redneck tendencies um and my dad was very upset because he was like you know, in, in, in the black community, it's like, you don't do, you don't do these kind of drugs or, or you just don't, um, we don't have that type of problem, which is totally untrue. But, but my dad was so angry with my mother for moving me there. Like, you know, these things wouldn't have happened to me if he had, if she hadn't moved me there. And I'm like, I would have found drugs no matter where it took me. So, yeah, you, you know, the mission. Yeah, I was going to find them. I mean, I, I pulled geographics thinking that I was going to get sober. I would move places and then, you know, I'd be high by noon. I, I think like, oh, this is what, you know, I don't need to go to rehab. I don't need to do anything. I'll just move. And then I'd still be high. I, I got here. I got to LA. I was in Venice and I was high by noon. And I moved here to get sober. Now, by grace, I got sober three months later. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't make it too long in L.A. Because, you know, people ride a little different in Los Angeles than they do, you know, back east. So, yeah, I, so I was, 
it, it was just you well one I realized I didn't have anybody you know so you go and you're like you're in a dope house in, in LA and you don't know anybody and you're, you're finding yourself in whole new situations that you haven't been in before um you know like so I I realized kind of I think I, I wanted to die I had this very um towards the end of my using I was like I want to die like this is I'm on a mission to die and I don't have the guts to off myself even though I tried so I was like I'll just try to overdose or try to like get myself in a situation where I'll die and I was doing that and then I kind of I, w- I found myself I was a little more scared than I thought I wasn't as much of a spring chicken as I thought so I'd get in certain situations I was around certain people and I'd be like well damn actually I don't want to die uh the woman I was renting a room from she had been she was sober for 14 years and um I I I knew she was like sober but I was just like I'm I don't know how to I I don't want to stop having fun and I'd see her go out she would like get dressed up and she like go out like every night almost and I was like wow she still like has fun you know and um I just watched her for a couple of months, you know, and she kind of gently realized what was going on with me and, and, and gently kind of pushed me in the right direction, but was, was very, wasn't preachy about it. Wasn't weird about it. She did it in a very elegant way that eventually, you know, I had my last run and, um, I just walked in her room and I was like, how do I find one of those meetings? (laughs) And and then, um, kind of ended up, going to a meeting and you know I don't know I I think that I believe in God you know and and yeah. and I, God has this way of like meeting you where you are and like the the woman speaking at the meeting was was a stripper and I was like oh my god she's not shy and she's sober I was like this is rad <laughs> like, I was like I was like okay like like life doesn't stop that that was what I needed to see to know that life doesn't stop when you get sober like that's where I was um you know and you know I was in my own path and I was like wow so I just kind of kept going to the meetings and um I was like still smoking weed um to like yeah, handle, I was like, say, real quick detox. let's backtrack to your drug use um oh yeah <laughs> yeah so you did heroin you were saying you were Definitely. in dope houses. What what was your yeah. main addiction Oh, wow. So garbage can. Talk about garbage cans. Jim Morrison. Um, I was a garbage can. If you had it, I wanted it. But the crazy thing is heroin was always on the do not call list. It was always on the list. Cocaine was on the list. I was, I'm going to do everything except heroin and cocaine and meth. Okay. I was, I'm going to do all the party drugs. I had, I had boundaries. I was like, so, so therefore I'm not a drug addict like these people. Um, and then, you know, after a while, I started getting bored. There's only so many ass trips you can go on before they all feel like they're the same, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, oh, this is the part where like everything looks like melted water. Great. Like, you know, it was just kind of like, I got bored. So, and then I was so depressed and I was so depleted that I was like, I need something more. And then, you know, cocaine was something I started doing because it would help me drink longer because I started getting sick every time I drink alcohol. Um, the allergy um and I was so to keep me going I started doing cocaine and then I I was around people that had it regularly you know I just found myself around the quote-unquote right people at the right time that had what I needed and then when I got to I was doing a lot of um opiates but I didn't graduate to heroin until I got to LA for the first time and that's when it was kind of heroin 
Um, so I met a, a guy, I was driving Uber for, um, for like my, my bread and butter. I didn't have a job and moved here with no plan. And then, um, I was driving Uber and I got involved with a guy and he actually, he was like, meth was like his thing or whatever, but when he couldn't find that, he'd do heroin. Um, like the opposite, the cocktails we will make as, as, as drug addicts, you know, and I, I just got involved with him and he's just like, well, why don't you just, he's like, you could just do heroin. He's like, he's like, why don't you try it? And I'm like, well, fine. There, I had nothing else better to do. There was nothing better to do. You know, I had, I had, I was going through a breakup. I had no job. I was like driving around LA for a living in a shitty car that like, I got by the skin of my teeth. It was, I had nothing really going for me. In my mind, in my mind, I had nothing going for me except for to just let my life waste away. And I think the the feeling of feeling like you're dying without like actually dying and then knowing that you could do that all the time because it was sleep or get high sleep or do dope for me because they were the same thing as the closest I could be to death without actually dying. So I was too scared to actually go through with it. And I felt like eventually I would die. Which, you know, I mean, as we know with this thing, like, you know, there's there's a few different paths you can take, you know, like you you end up in jail and I I'd always be joking. I'm like, I'm too cute for jail. <laughs> so I have to die. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely did the gambit. My drug of choice was everything. It was really everything. I always joke and I would say like, you know, alcohol, I didn't have to wait for a dealer to call me back. So, you know, you could always go to the liquor store. So, so that, that would be first if I really had to get out of myself because the dealer's taking forever to get back to you. And then sometimes I, you know, I take matters in my own hands and I'd be like, well, I'll just sell it myself. So I always have it. But, you know, that saying, don't get high on your own supply. It's really hard to sell drugs when you're loaded all the time and doing your drugs and then you owe people money. So it's, it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a life that I don't want back, truly, you know? And at the time, I really thought, it's funny we talked about the 27 Club. I really, really was like, the goal is the die at 27. I looked up to those guys. I was like, I thought I was living a rock and roll life. I really did, especially when I moved to Chicago and I had, you know, I had the penthouse, I had the, the money, like money was rolling in and I was pretty functional on paper. What I thought I was functional, but my pets suffered. My pets didn't have food because I'd be passed out for days. You know, like, you know, part of the amends process, some of that was making amends to my pets. You know, my When did you finally get a good job? I got a great job. Actually, okay. you know, it's interesting. So I actually, this is kind of interesting how we can live these double lives as addicts. I actually had a really well-paying job in the thick of it, when I moved to Chicago, right out of college, I got an office job. I had this corporate job and I was selling drugs in their bathroom. Oh, I had a shit. full desk job, corporate situation. <laughs> I was, but I, yeah. Um, but I couldn't really hold down anything um, until I got sober. You know, I would, um, that was my longest running job. I was there for four years. And then after I left that job, cause it, I think they got me when I was a little bit younger and then I kind of grew up there. And then once I moved and I put those people through hell, but once I moved, you know, I couldn't land a job for the life of me, uh, moved on from that place. So yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's a, it was a rough, 
um, rough slope, but I, re I really thought that I was living um, a very glamorous rock and roll lifestyle. I was like, this is just cool. Like, like this is the life I always wanted. I wanted to be that messy artist, you know, with like my hair all over my head and like everybody comes to my house to hang out and it's a safe haven for everybody, but it's really just a place for everybody to do drugs. <laughs> like, you know, it was just this life that I just, to some people might sound cool, but you know, it, it got old. It definitely got old. And like, my life is still very colorful. And I thought that it wasn't going to be, I thought my life would be extremely boring. I thought it was over and I have had more fun in the last, I'm coming up on six years next month. And like, I've had more fun than than I had then. I, I wouldn't trade my best day then for my worst day now, truly. So let's go back six years ago. Tell me about yeah. when you decided to get sober and why you got sober. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So like I said, I, you know, I went, well, the night um, that kind of triggered it was actually quite a simple night. I went to an open mic um, and there was uh, $1 tequila shots. <laughs> and I dangerous. was yeah very dangerous very dangerous I was going through a breakup so I was drinking my feelings um so I got pretty um loaded and uh couldn't drive my car home and my roommate the other roommate I lived with three other people um was also very much um one of us <laughs> and he was less drunk than I was or uh, and he drove my car home and very simple you would think that like you know we crashed the car or something like that no got home and I woke up not knowing what happened but I was in his room and I didn't know where I was I had no idea where I was I was like what is going on I'm like did I sleep with this guy did he roof me like what is going on um and I got up and it's like when you do the walk of shame across the hall to your own bedroom and you don't know where you are <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was, it was such a simple night compared to all my other nights, you know, but it was just very, um, I think I saw myself for the first time. Like I actually was like, I remember walking across the hall, getting up and laying in my bed and, and, and I made a Facebook status and I was like, why is it that I tell myself I'm never going to do this again? And I keep doing it every time. That was the Facebook status. Why I made a Facebook status. I don't know. Um, but I, I was 20. So, or 23, 24, something like that. Um, so I was like, let's tell the world about it. Um, so then um, I, I was sitting there and I just kind of like, I really looked at, at my, like, I, I looked at the clothes I was wearing. I looked at the room I was in and I looked at my, you know, my, poor pet that hadn't eaten in days and I was just like what the hell am I doing like like yeah. why don't I just die like like but then I was like maybe I don't want to I think I just want to live differently like all this time of me feeling like I want to die feeling suicidal it's because I don't know how to live I just actually don't know how to live I want a good life but I don't know how to attain it and I don't know how to do it without being loaded and I was just I was just sitting there I felt trapped I was like but I was like I gotta do something different for that moment I really felt like there was something I could do different and I was like a teeny teeny bit willing to see what that looked like in that moment and that's when I got up, I went into my other roommate's room and I asked her to help me find, I said, well, the meetings that you go to, like, is, is there one today? 
she sat down with me, helped me find a meeting. Um, I didn't make it to the meeting until uh, about 8 p.m. There was a late night, a later evening meeting. I went and the 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 stripper was there and she was sharing. <laughs> um, and I was like, wow. And then there was, I love the Grateful Dead. I like spent like summers and summers, like just following all these jam bands. And this lady had green hair and a Grateful Dead shirt on. And she shared at the meeting after the the stripper. It was like God was speaking my language the whole time. <laughs> and like so, so she stands up and she just shares and she said, like, "I got twenty six years, blah blah." And I was like, "Wow!" Like she's been sober longer than I've been alive. That's cool. And I'm just like, "What the hell? This place is interesting." Because everybody was quirky, everybody was cool, and everybody was saying tidbits of how I felt and I had never experienced that in my whole life even trying to go to therapy like I still couldn't find it like it was like I felt it there and um I walked up to her and I asked her to be my sponsor um and she gave me books she was like if she's like these books cost 14 dollars and I was like I have no money and she's okay I'll give them to you she's like but we're gonna pay you're gonna pay me back because you need to learn accountability I'm gonna be here next week she wasn't there next week. I never heard from this woman again, but I got another sponsor. I'm like, maybe she was an angel to get me in the door. I don't know. But um, yeah, I stayed. I stuck around and um, I just, it took me until I had eight days before I ever said anything in a meeting, but I went every day for about eight days. And then I finally, there's a burning desire that you can take. Um, and I took the burning desire and I just shared and I was like, I have eight days and all these people came up to me. I mean, like, it was like, I was, first of all, to a young kid that craves attention and validation at that time, I was like, oh, wow. I was like, I feel like a celebrity in this bitch. Like, okay. Uh Like, yeah, I was like, this is cool. So all these people coming up to you and check on you the next day. I never had that. I never had people actually genuinely care about me and care about me succeeding at something. I never had that. And to this day, I don't feel, even going to church now you know I've I've eventually you know I still go to AA but um um going to church and stuff like that like I do feel the camaraderie but I don't feel it the way I feel at um when I go to a 12-step meeting like I, I feel this like camaraderie that I've just never felt in my life you know and it's just good to have it's like an after school snack when you've had a whole day out in the world being a sober member of society doing your best sometimes (laughs) sometimes we act up and then you go and you like see your people it's like being at cheers you know like I used to like joke and be like you know the cheers theme song you want to go where everybody knows your name like you know you go everybody's like smoking cigarettes outside and they're like what's up and I'm like what's up how's your kid you know it's just a cool thing you know and you see the same people around for many years and that's a groovy thing um some people die and that's the part that I hate I hate that part you know there's people that, you know, they go out at 20 years. That's wild that this thing can still, like, it can still eat you. No it's matter how much time you have. Yeah, it's something you have to battle every day. Nobody, I mean, I'm lucky I don't get cravings. But it's, I mm-hmm. think it's because of the fact that I'm always doing something. Like, especially like this. I have two more yeah. podcasts today. I have to edit the videos. I have to post them to all the social media. I do a little writing. Oh, wow. So I keep myself busy because yes. the idle mind is the devil's playground. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the only reason I haven't had a craving is I keep myself busy doing something. Like if I was just sitting there doing nothing, that's when a craving might hit. 
Yeah. Yeah. Just twirling your thumbs. Yeah. No, that's when it gets, that's a danger zone. Yeah. You yeah, have to yeah, keep good word, busy. danger zone. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good to know like, what is the danger zone? Like, like, you know, I was at, um, you know, I'm currently working through like another, um, um, I'm applying my 12 step knowledge to another area in my life, um, with like sex and love. And I noted, I have, I'm identifying, I'm having to go through the same little things that I went through early in sobriety from alcohol and drugs where like, it's like, okay, like that's an area of weakness for me. Like, let me, like, I didn't go to Vegas for like three years. (laughs) I got sober. Like, like I'm not ready for Vegas. And then I did Vegas and I was like, hell yeah. Like, you know, but like, there's certain things that I'm just like, I'm not ready to do because now that I'm actually putting my finger on this area, but I know that I can be successful because I've been successful with drugs and alcohol. So I'm grateful that I have something under my belt. And I know that that process works, but keeping yourself busy once again. And like, it's just the same. I think addiction is like this. It doesn't matter like what you're putting in the hole. Like, it's like it's it's all the same in my mind where i'm just like okay you just have to fill the hole with something that is doesn't take from you yeah you know this uh, i'm sure i mean it might be like depleting or like energy depleting to like or tiring but i'm sure this is like you wouldn't be doing this if you didn't like dig it like you know interviewing these people and it's good work it's good service it's truly good service because people need to hear this because like maybe like somebody won't ever set foot in a meeting i don't think the 12 steps are the only way for people to get sober or whatever like i don't think there's only one way you know like i've heard all types of experiences that people have had with like getting sober or getting free from any addiction you know i like just it doesn't there's different ways i think there's different avenues that you can take yeah i mean Addicts Anonymous has its own 10-step program, and obviously there's um, a ton of different programs out there, but I've related to what the Dalai Lama said. He was talking about religion. He said there's no one religion for everybody. That's why we have different religions based on people's different personalities and the way they think and the way they Mm. act. So same thing with recovery. I see it as some people just may not click. Some people may click. Like you, you clicked. You got to the meeting, and it was done. You You were in. Some people, it doesn't click, but they might go to a different meeting in a different town or just a different time, and there's different people there, and it clicks. And it clicks, yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what the group is named. Put it that way. Yeah. As long yeah, as it's no. recovery-based, you're good to go. Recovery-based and having commodity. Like, the commodity, like, saved yeah. my ass. Like, being able to be at a diner at 2 o'clock in the morning with a bunch of, like, ex-drug addicts, like cracking me up about like the time they like had to like suck dick for mess like it's just I know that's vulgar but it's like it was just so funny because it's like oh my god me too like like, everybody's like yeah like you know and like what other scenario do you have people because it's like if some of the things that we've gone through it's like you say it to like a person who can't relate to that they're like they like wonder if you're okay now it's like yo that was years ago <laughs> you know like yeah. they're they're still wondering like you good like you know like like we have to worry about you like you know and it's funny because like you know when you just talk to people that get it I mean you don't have to live in the past all the time but it was just funny for me to see people I never saw that I never saw people that were like living sober you know I remember I went to the grocery store with these two uh people 
that I met on my recovery journey. And it was the most hilarious experience at the grocery store I think I've ever had the way they were buying their coffee. Like, like, like it was like, it was like being at the store with like, a bunch of it was like three crackheads at the store but like, yeah. <laughs> like, like we're like grabbing our coffee and we're like oh my god have you ever had these these are so good try them like, like you know we're just like buying everything at the grocery store and like can't like put anything down you're like yeah just get it just you get it get it definitely get it it was the funniest thing but um yeah wow what a journey so how really. do you stay sober nowadays um so for me i won I, how can I say this? I, I definitely continue passing, passing it down. I'm like a firm believer in like you to keep it, you give it away. I know it's cheesy, but, um, so I help other, other women or men or whatever, anybody that needs my help. Um, you know, and then I share my story. So I think your testimony is so valuable, even if it's, you know, just a couple days or whatever, but just somebody hearing that, like, hey, like, this is, um, you know, what I went through and I'm on the other side of it. So inspiring and it really plants seeds. Um, but one big thing that's a non-negotiable for me is I have to have fun. I'm like extremely unpredictable I keep my life very I do live by my calendar but for the most part like I have freestyle days like Saturday is a freestyle day usually I try to keep it that way like I just I have to stay free like in general um you know making sure that I have like so much fun when I go out I I don't even think about using when I go out and I'll be out till six o'clock in the morning sometimes and then other times I'm tired and I just want to watch a movie at home but I just try to have fun. You know, I live my life very, a lot of people that don't know me well, they'll think I'm on drugs when they meet me. <laughs> it's like They're like, no person can be this violently happy and energetic, but I have so much energy uh, now. So I just try to stay fun, keep everything fun and fresh, switch it up, um, switch my style up, just like, you know, do things that kind of feed my soul. Like, you know, um, keep a lot of creativity going and and that's kind of what I do but and then and then give it away and make sure I'm sitting down and like uh you know I sponsor women um and I make sure I go back to the place where I got free and kind of stay there because that's the thing that's working for me so I go back to what works and I keep digging into things with my childhood because I always find something I always find something that I haven't visited with yet like oh that's something that needs my attention let's work through this and you know I've go to therapy um you know just keep digging inside to like and then and then having that spiritual piece of like not carrying a lot of things with me and leaving it at God's feet is a good rinse and repeat for me is like and I know it sounds like metaphysical to a person that isn't spiritual but I think having this like place where you can put all your stuff and for people who don't have a relationship with God or don't believe in God just journaling and burn it like you know like get it out of you like 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 get rid of that stuff because that stuff that's the stuff that starts turning it grows weeds and then you know now you got this garden this beautiful garden that has all these weeds in it and it's like destroying everything and then you're drunk or you're high you know it might not happen for 20 years or it could happen tomorrow but it's like when you let things go unchecked 
you can quickly relapse back into old behaviors. And some of those behaviors can be you drinking or using. So I try to just continue to rinse and repeat. I get full of shit. I get the shit out. <laughs> like, don't get yeah. spiritually constipated. It's <laughs> like, a good, so, good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> so my last question for you. Do you uh-huh. have any advice for people watching or listening? Yeah. Yeah. Have fun. Um, and I mean, that's a loaded, like a statement, I guess there's a lot of ways you can have fun, but, um, it, it, try to not to take yourself so serious and your life so serious, like be okay laughing at yourself. Like the things that you did, like they're they're fucking funny. Like, why were you doing that? (laughs) Like, you know, like laugh at yourself, like, like, don't take this so serious, you know? And I think like, there's a freedom that comes with not taking yourself so serious and being able to like um, make fun of yourself and, and, and constantly, um, you know, uh, give yourself grace. I think it's a really fun way to give yourself grace is laugh at yourself. Let's be like, what, what are you doing, girl? And be gentle with yourself. Um, be cool to yourself. Be good to yourself because um, sometimes it feels like all you got is you. And I think that that's a really fun way to find um, something beyond you that's beyond this world to find a, a spiritual relationship with a higher power is is kind of like building that relationship with you. Like, who are you? Get to know yourself. What's eating Gilbert Grape? What's going on with you? Like, you know, really, really like getting intimate with yourself. And that's hard to do for a person that hates themselves. But if you start with not taking yourself seriously, you could be like, well, why the fuck do I hate you? Like, you know, like, what would you ever do to me? You know, and like, have fun. This is, this is, it's like, we take life so serious and you're here for two seconds and then you look up and you're gone. You really want to spend it all loaded and hating yourself. And like, when you could, you could figure out a way to have fun here. Yeah. There's, there's many ways. So have fun. Long story short. <laughs> Long story short. That was great. We have, this, yeah. has great this has been a great interview. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I had so much fun. Yeah, me too. So did you have anything else you want to add? Um, No, I think that's it. That's it. All right, great. So sit tight for me. And for everyone watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check Addicts Anonymous out on Tumblr, Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Also, you can check us out at www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you find plenty of resources as well as free literature. That's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time.